hugs. It wasn't long before we spotted campfires and were greeted with hugs. For the first time in almost 11 months, I heard a chorus in the distance sing out, We love you! There were roughly 20 vehicles and 75 people camped out around the perimeter of a damp horseshoe-shaped meadow that may later serve as a bus village. A giddy, excited feeling hung in the air as our small band found itself thrown together on the night before beginning an immense undertaking. Galloping drum beats started up at the large campfire at the far end of the meadow. A young man with a scar and stitch marks running the length of his torso gazed around the meadow, which was bathed in the light of an almost full moon. This is his first gathering, and he was already swept up in the excitement. I don't believe it, he said. This is so amazing. This is nothing, brother, the man standing next to him broke in. Just wait till you see what's coming. May 31st, 1999, Seed Camp Journal Entry Number 2, Walking the Site, Allegheny National Forest. I began the day with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a slice of watermelon, and I ended it in front of a campfire listening to people reading the poetry of Rumi, the 13th century Sufi mystic. In between, I walked all around the gathering site. Main Meadow. There will be no water shortage this year. The forest is dotted with freshwater springs, and Main Meadow will be near the S-shaped confluence of Bear Creek and Little Otter Creek. Walking barefoot in those cool, clear streams, I could easily picture hundreds of naked hippies splashing and lounging about a month from now. There was concern expressed about rattlesnakes that may be living in some of the rockier areas of the site. However, Greenlight has promised to spend a night sleeping with the snakes to see if there is any actual danger. Main Circle will be located in the middle of an enormous meadow. You first see the meadow at a distance while walking in on the trail above Little Otter Creek. It's a breathtaking sight, and at that moment you will understand why you journeyed so far to be here. Ancient mountain ridges rise in the distance, and the meadow itself gently tilts into a bog that lies at one end. The meadow is sprinkled with shrub-like serviceberry trees and white plastic tubes that contain dead fruit trees planted by the Forest Service. Twenty of us wandered through the meadow looking for the central energy point. A silver-bearded hippie from Woodstock ground-scored a turkey feather, and a sister quickly clasped it to a stick that she had just found. The stick was planted in the ground, and we held the first of what will be many ohm circles at that spot. The feather will later be used in council meetings. Who would imagine that an object of such humble origins will soon become the focal point of so many clashing egos? Searching for Freshwater Springs 
Later, I went searching for more freshwater springs with Michael, one of the Pennsylvania scouts. Scouting is about searching for the proverbial needle in the haystack. It is demanding work, and Michael has been doing it every weekend since April. We followed Pole Road Creek, going away from Main Meadow. I sneezed and heard the sound echo up the long, narrow valley. There was a crashing sound, and we caught a glimpse of a white-tailed deer bounding through the woody thicket. Though this site is water-rich, possible springs are being tested, at $36 a pop, for excessive concentrations of iron and sulfur. Michael examined the wavy lines on his topo map and the contour of the land around us. Miles of PVC pipe will be laid in the coming weeks. Kitchens will pop up wherever there is a steady water supply. And it all begins when a keen-eyed scout spots a trickle of water gurgling up through the soil. in the calm there's people eating it looks like probably something medicinal and there's a man treating somebody looks like a cut on his head I think so I'm gonna try to find somebody who's in charge we'll see if that's a possibility my legal name is seven song I'm working here at the first aid station at the rainbow gathering and how long have you been helping out at Calm? 14 years, 15 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. What are you doing in Babylon? 
I don't believe in Babylon. I feel like the Rainbow Gathering is as much Babylon as any place else in the world. Uh, there's as much thievery and disrespect. So what I do in the outside world when I'm not here is I work in, I run an herb school, uh, the Northeast School of Botanical Medicine. I work in a free clinic where I'm the director of holistic medicine. But I really, I'm really, I feel like there's no division between here and there. And where is that located? Ithaca, New York. Tell us about Calm. What's the purpose of it? Uh, well, basically, it's the first aid station, and it's trying to meet as many people's medical needs as possible. What does Calm stand for? All right, so it stands for a center of alternative living medicine, but I just want to say I've always felt it was a silly name, and I would what living medicine is. So I tend to call it just the first aid station or the medical area, but that's what it stands for. I think they came up with what they wanted it to be called. It happened like 16 years ago because we used to be called MASH, and then people just didn't really like the word MASH, and so eventually they came up with the common, and then I think they filled in the acronym. What's the craziest thing you've ever treated here? <laughs> it's funny because it's pretty obvious. One time this guy came here and um, he had pretty bad diabetes. It's not funny. I mean, it's, it's funny, interesting, bizarre. And he was somebody who was very large and he didn't really ever look at the below his legs. And he said his legs felt tingly and weird. And we asked him to roll his pants up, and they were maggots covering his leg on both sides. And basically, they were eating, they were eating the necrotic flesh. I mean, he had bad diabetes, which isn't funny at all. But I've never seen it. Just rolled it up. I'm telling you, just covered in maggots. He had no idea they were there. Oh and so we had a, we had one of the few times I flinched because I'm pretty good with blood and pus and pain and anger. I mean, all the stuff we see there. I mean, it's part of my life. But that was weird. What did you do? Uh, we got a nurse to come in. We started just pouring isopropyl alcohol to kill uh, the maggots on his leg. I mean, it makes sense. If you know what maggots do, they eat the outer flesh. Sometimes they use medicinally this way, but these were not medicinal. These were fly maggots. So. You feel like there isn't a separation between the rainbows and the outside world. Is that a unique perspective here? I don't really know. I imagine a lot of people, I mean, I bring 14 students, to, I run a school, an herb school in Ithaca, New York, and I bring 14 students or 16 students every year, and a lot of them don't really like the Rainbow Gathering and feel it's even more Babylon than out in the world, you know, more judgmental, more hypocritical, more misogynistic, I mean, and I see a lot of that here. And so I would say, I, I think a lot of people who feel that don't come to Rainbow Gatherings, but I like service, I like treating people. I would never come here without doing first aid, like I have no interest in really in the drum circles or being a part of anything else, but I love service, and man, we're just crazily of service here. I spend a lot of money every year, bring a lot of medicines, and also it's a great uh, place to teach students. So what I, really, to sum up the question, I think that most people who feel that way just wouldn't come here. Like I, I have, I have, uh, I do work plant walks here at 10 a.m. And when people say, how do I you know it's 10 a.m.? And I'll say, well, you look at your watch. And they'll say, I have the babylometer or something. And it's just like, it's just a simple little device. <laughs> there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's just nothing wrong with watches. I mean, if you're attached to your watch. So, I mean, that kind of stuff where it's just kind of reverse prejudice. What are the most common things you treat? That's uh, easy. Uh, foot problems, because lots of people not wearing shoes. And they, uh, a lot of, uh, well, a lot of it stems from what I call slocks, which is sudden loss of common sense. So people come out here and think, well, I'll just, I wear shoes all the time everywhere and I'm going to come to the woods and take off my shoes you know yeah, right and then they just have no idea how to be barefoot I mean, some people here know how to be barefoot but we don't see them but we see lots of foot injuries uh, lots of diarrhea and upset stomachs headaches here at 9,000 feet we see high altitude sickness with people not knowing what it is dehydration a lot of belly aches a lot of inflammation, a lot of exacerbation of existing conditions because new environments and not the foods are accommodating and used to uh, eating. 
Those are some of them. Lots of things get in people's eyes. You're motivated by service. There's lots of places you could go to serve. Why here? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I started coming here 26 or 27 years ago when I had more of a belief system of what the Rainbow Gathering is. Most of that has petered away over the years. But there's very few places. I'm, I'm, a pract I'm an herbalist. And so there's just very few places an herbalist can get their hands on with a lot of practice. So you can go to like, I don't know, some kind of Woodstock 29 or something and maybe, but very few people. And most places I go and practice, people really want to see a doctor or a nurse. And I'm always, even though I've been studying for seven years, I'm often relegated to like a second, third or fourth position. And I'm pretty competent. I know a fair amount of diagnostics. I mean, I practice medicine, you know, and herbs are what I tend to give. I'm not a doctor. I'm not, I don't want to be a doctor. I'm an herbalist. And so here, um, lots of people are willing to see an herbalist and want to see an herbalist, and I get to really practice my craft, and I love first aid. I'm just, in Ayurveda, I'm very pitta, and I like, you know, blood and pus just excite me. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get along with the medical staff, the doctors and nurses? Oh, it just depends. You mean here? Uh, well, here, pretty good. I mean, at the past couple of years, I'm probably one of the focal points of calm. So if they want to work here, it's usually people, you know, it's these self-select things, you know. So these folks pretty much want to work here, and they know that I'm going to be here. Uh, most of the, I mean, most doctors who come here never say they're doctors, right? They just, they're having fun. They're not here to practice. The doctors who come here to practice, but we don't generally, have, most of the doctors don't spend much time in calm. So I don't, there's not really much tension because they're not really there to do that. You said your belief system has changed since 26 years ago, or what made your belief system change? Um, a lot of things have made my beliefs. I've become much more, I guess the word would be materialistic. I really believe in the biology of life and cells and interactions. The Rainbow Gathering, to me, has a tremendous amount of judgmentalness and, um, what's the word? People, not a lot of critical thinking, a lot of kind of belief in spirituality without a lot of uh, focus and presence and service in the world. And it's not an easy question to answer, but I guess just to become more thoughtful. And for me, I'm just indulging in my belief in science, really. And so a lot of things here have a strong spiritual values and uh, people can have spirituality. A lot of people do have spirituality, but it's not really the world that I'm from. I feel like here we are, we're presence, let's do what we can without, you know, relying on other deities or other aspects. And so a little more conservative is what I've become um, over the years. And also, I'll tell you, the drug use here makes me crazy. It's just such a drug-indulgent culture often. I mean, I'm very libertarian and think that drugs should pretty much all be legal, but uh, recreational drugs, <laughs> yeah, many drugs need to be protected. And so, like that has just altered me seeing really what happens when people obsess over drug use. Not the occasional use of recreational drugs to enjoy themselves. That's fantastic. It's been used throughout history. But here people come and they just get wasted, a lot of them, without really enjoying the beauty of nature, not being an active part of this community. It always seems like maybe 10 or 15% of the people hold up the vast majority. And so, seeing that made me, made me very sober when I was young. And like, how do I be a part of that? And I guess all of that leads to a kind of, um, like a presence on the earth, a physical terrain kind of orientation. I think that's about it. I can go on for hours. Oh my gosh, I could talk to you for hours. This was very helpful. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing this. My name is Josh Fox, and uh, come out here as an herbalist. Where are you from, Josh? I live in the Asheville area, oh, North Carolina. That's fantastic. You're a volunteer here at Calm, yeah. right? And um, tell us about the supplies here. What have we got? 
A lot of what we carry is uh, a lot of herbs that folks have harvested from their areas. A bunch of herbalists come out here and bring their medicines, which could be tinctures or salves or oils or dry plant matter. Then also some other uh, herbs that we harvest here on the site. Oh, are some of these that you found right here in the forest? Yeah. What are these? So these are leaves of uh, yarrow, Achillea millifolium. And uh, it's just a really great antibacterial. It grows all around the country. Good for cuts, burns, stopping bleeding, open wounds. How would you actually use that if someone came in bleeding? What would you do with it? Well, basically do a, what we call a spit poultice. It's where you chew up some of the leaves and the saliva. The enzymes in your saliva activate, break open some of the cell walls, releasing the medicine. And we can just put that plant matter directly on the wound. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I know that um, I've heard that, well, animals lick their wounds, right? Sure. And saliva itself is good. Someone told me one time to that I should lick mosquito bites. Mm. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> heard of people using urine on things, but, you know, there's really powerful enzymes. Digestion starts in the mouth, so just the saliva is the first step to breaking things down which could be food that we're digesting, or it could be medicine to help get the right constituents out. What are these other herbs? This one looks like, um, I don't know, kind of scraggly hair. What is this that? This is uh, usnea. It's actually a lichen that grows on dead trees. Wow. That's for the bladder, I think? Um, some people use it for, uh, for kind of the kidney meridian, but I tend to use it myself for, to control strep throat. It's also strongly antibacterial. Have and you seen strep throat out here? A number of cases. Wow. That would be communicable, like, um, right? So it could yeah. spread. For, uh, definitely for bigger cases, we'll treat as much as we can and then try to keep those folks isolated. Um, but even for, this is a great herb, even for sore throats, itchy throats, to just prevent strep from coming in as much as treating it. You've got um, several, what, yards here of um, all kinds of different things. I see some things in bottles, and what else have you got? This looks like, um, is that ginger root? Yeah, we have some full ginger root. We have some over-the-counter medicines that folks donate, different ibuprofens and things. Ginger root for, uh, to help with digestion, stomach aches, and also nausea. What's here in the box? These are mainly uh, tinctures, different uh, so alcohol-based medicines. We'll take plants that won't preserve on their own and we put them in alcohols. And essentially that will preserve it for three years or even longer so we can bring different medicines from our parts of the world out here to use with the patients. What motivates you to come and serve at the gathering? There's, it's all like one big family here, and my role, what I've been learning in the last six, seven years, has been uh, healing people with plants, so that's the best way that I can help out the family here. Some are cooks, some uh, dig latrines for people to use, and my role is kind of to work with the plants and help heal. What's the most unusual case you've had to deal with that worked with herbs? Um, 
You know, we see a lot of people. In the course of a day, I might see 40 different people, and uh, I'll give them herbs from any kind of condition, whether it's a bladder infection, a simple cough, a fever, um, a staph infection, and a lot of people I don't see again. So hopefully by not seeing them, we, I think uh, they've done well with herbs. But rarely do we get people coming back here telling us, so oh, this worked great, because when you're fine, you don't even think about your health anymore. It's really fantastic. Anything else you want to let our listeners know about Calm or about the gathering? Um, I've just seen, since I've been out here, I've seen such a resurgence in uh, herbal medicine. We, have, we used to have 10 or 20 people on plant walks. Now we have 50 or 60. And uh, people are realizing, you know, with the way the pharmaceutical industry is right now, that plants just can do so much for us. And there's such a future getting back into herbal medicine. You guys do a plant walk every morning, is that right? There's one every morning and usually a couple others, either from this camp or from another. Mushroom walks as well and, yeah, assorted workshops of all kind out here at Rainbow. Is there one tomorrow morning or not because of the silence? Not tomorrow. The next day after they'll continue and, yeah, some of them are more spiritual, some of them are more scientific. Depends who's leading the walk. You've been very kind. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming out here and exploring. Thanks. Thank you. Teriani Riggs. Great. So, Teriani, how many gatherings have you been to? I've been to, this is my 16th national and my 18th year of gathering. What brings you back? I think this is one of the most important annual experiments in creating a different world or creating a different society that's not based on hierarchy and is actually attempting to change the world from within and using a lot of us products of a dysfunctional culture to try to create a culture that works and finding the experience of anarchy not as just complete chaos but as just having control but not under anyone else's control is an exp interesting experiment to me and very vital to the work in the world because there's so much hierarchy and we've decided that hierarchy has such a high social cost that it's not really useful or, or worthwhile and here I've actually found having teamwork be higher functioning than a high functioning hierarchy and that surprised me because I believed like many others that hierarchy was the most highest functioning way of doing power but had too high a social cost and I found that in a medical emergency my team has worked just as well as any of my teams in the other world when I did search and rescue on an emergency. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you right now. I'm fine Jack. Well because the Leos are down over here in mass right now with their pepper spray guns. Okay. And I'll take I her just, down there now. I just want to make sure that nothing goes Sounds right. good. So sounds I'll take good. her over after. Okay. You want to walk down there with me or are you on um, I am, I'm not on calm, I'm on the radio. Do you want to do that right now? I'd like to see what's going on if you're curious. Is that okay? I'm not particularly curious unless a problem happens. Yeah. I, I try to have a rainbow gathering unless there's an actual problem. Yeah. Now, they historically do create problems on the 3rd of July, but there's been an unprecedented amount of cooperation from the LEOs this year, and we were sort of hoping they wouldn't create an incident on the 3rd of July this year. Last year was the worst they'd ever created, but they've created some very bad incidents in the past, and I, we believe they use us for their training purposes to learn crowd control, because we don't have weapons. We're not, we're not a big protester in March. We're just here having fun or doing our spiritual prayers, and they like to come in, and we call them the incident creation team. 
and the ICT is what they call themselves. We just say incident creation team instead of incident command team. And I think folks are pretty worried that they're going to try to create an incident, which is historically true of the last few years. Last year they opened fire on our children's village at dinner time on the 3rd of July, creating a lot of problems. Yes, it's difficult to stay calm and peaceful when someone is doing something agitating. Well, I was actually one of the people who got shot last year trying to protect the cops from the creation, the incident they created. And they were shooting their crowd control, and then they decided they wanted to arrest those of us who were trying to protect them. And they didn't do it then. They came later on trying to look for us, hunt us down, and it's very disturbing. I'm a medic. I'm an EMT, and I go to wherever there's a crisis, and whether it's hippie on hippie, whether it's cop on cop, or whether it's hippie and cop, or whatever it is, or whether it's a heart attack, that's where I go. I'm like a white blood cell of the rainbow gathering. And so I was in between the cops and a very angry mass of people who had their children shot at. And the cops, the LEOs, decided they wanted to shoot us as well. <laughs> Not a very intelligent decision to do because we were the only things between a full-out riot and there was only five of us, I think, five to seven of us, stopping a full-out riot from happening. And they were shooting at us as well. What techniques did you use to keep people calm? Well, there wasn't really any keeping calm because of what, you know, shooting into a children isn't really a great thing to do to keep anybody calm. But some of the, the de-escalation tactics of Shantasena, which are peacekeepers, which we all are at Rainbow Gatherings, but I'm one of the people who stay online to answer problem calls. Um, one thing that's important with l most law enforcement officers is they have a very large bubble when they're scared. They have a bubble anyways when they're not scared, but they get scared easily from my experience and to keep people out of that bubble especially when they've drawn live weapons, which they ended up at the end of our time, they ended up drawing live weapons. And it's like, okay, keep the crowd as far back as possible. Try to keep any kind of stones or sticks that anybody might want to throw out of their frustration at having been shot at. The, the LEOs were actually aiming their lasers on people's foreheads, which was just, in, you know, creating more incensing. You know, the LEOs were escalating, and it was really hard. It's hard to de-escalate when one or both sides continues to escalate. But the biggest thing we can do is just keep a big separation between the two parties, just like any fight. How do you stay the neutral party? What's going on inside of you, and how do you keep yourself calm? In the moment, I'm not sure how neutral I am. I'm just doing the job. Afterwards, I have a lot of feelings, especially after I got shot. And then we had a respiratory arrest case right afterwards um, that was directly related to the pepper spray that had been put out. And I was the lead medic on that for the first time. I'm not usually the lead on a life or death. And that was my first time being the lead medic, the only medic there on a life or death. And we were having to breathe for and we were doing, um, we didn't even have the bag valve mask yet. You know, we were, it's like, okay, get your face mask out. It was like all of this right after a six hour movie. I can't say I was neutral. In fact, the I was angry at the hippies and I was at the cops because I think we responded poorly to that situation. I think. The, the law enforcement officers often do this, and they often react poorly. I expect that of them. I expect us to act better. What do you expect people to do to act better? I would hope that we'd have enough presence of mind to keep our hearts and our, and our souls in with our anger, like, and to not act out of our anger, have our anger but not act out of it. And, you know, we, there's a way to do non-compliance without having to be angry or violent about it or screaming or threatening. And certainly without putting your dogs or your children in danger, and people were putting their dogs and children in danger, well, one child, not everyone. There was a lot of dogs. Like, I'm, I'm a civil disobedience activist. I've done a lot of 
civil disobedience in my past, and so I know how to be how to stand up for what I believe in and choose to risk arrest. You don't take in non-consenting parties like someone too too young to consent or an animal that doesn't know what it's getting into. And so a lot of the hippies have their dogs following the cops up, and it's like the dogs could get shot. The you know the children. There was one person putting his child in danger. So when I came down, I was very very angry at the people who put other people in danger. What did you do with your anger? Oh, I think it got translated into PTSD actually. I came back this year with PTSD from that incident, from getting shot, and also from another incident where I had six officers rushing me when I was alone in the parking lot <laughs> with um, automatic weapons. And I've never had it personal before. I've done a lot of peacekeeping, a lot of medicking, and when I've risked arrest, I chose to risk arrest. I've never actually been alone while six officers with automatic weapons <laughs> were rushing me. So that combined with getting shot created a lot of nightmares and a lot of other things. And, I was thinking, well, maybe I'm just not strong enough. It's not like I'm in Afghanistan, but I'm also not trained to have six people with automatic weapons charging me either. So, I mean, I'm still learning how to work with my anger and how not to act out of anger. I think normally I don't act out of anger under crisis, but it takes a heavy toll on me later. But it is a natural reaction of the human mind to protect itself. And I think one of the things about the human mind is that ideally, if we're not in post-traumatic stress disorder, we should also have other parts of us engaged as well, so we make good decisions, even with our anger. Anger's a great fuel. It burns hot, but it burns fast, and it burns you out. I learned this as an environmental activist and an indigenous rights activist. Anger's a, a very powerful fuel, but there's no way to keep going all your life on it. And I mean, we can do the same actions with different fuel. I'm really curious about forgiveness, and it's asking a lot of the rainbows to forgive what happened last year. What part do you think forgiveness plays here? I'm not sure what part it plays other than my knowledge spiritually, how important it is to forgive ourselves and to forgive those around us. But that's easy to say and a lot harder to internalize, I think. Many of the folks here are really amazing, peaceful people and they work on having forgiveness. And there's a lot of people who have hate for law enforcement, there's, but there's a lot of folks really who see them as family and really want them to just take off their guns and join us. Anything else you'd like to say about the importance of peace or how it works at the gathering? Well, if you could imagine 20,000 people coming to the same place with the intention to treat each other as family, not just um, the lip speak, and not necessarily succeeding in this, but with every single person having an intention to treat each other as family, that's an entirely different environment than I think any of us have experienced anywhere else. And I think you've experienced a little bit of that yourself here. There's, a, there's miracles daily, because the intention is that every stranger is a family member, that this is actually home. And that's something when you get 20,000 people doing that as their prayer, as their meditation, whether they succeed or not, whether they're the abused drug user kid who ran away from home or whether it's the engineer who works for NASA, which we have everything here. If they all come together to believe this, then you have some of the most amazing magic you could have in the world right here. And that's why I come back every year. Thanks very much. So I'm here for Main Circle. It's about three giant, make that four, concentric circles. There's white powder on the ground that marks the circle. People are sitting on either side of the circle. It's mostly really young people. There are a few old people, but not that many. I'd say maybe mm, 15, 20%, you would see somebody who looks like they're over 30. It's a giant open field. 
the edge of the field, surrounded with trees and tents and just happy people everywhere. The most popular colors are gray and brown, dark green, and it's all sprinkled with bright colors. A lot of tie-dye, a lot of knit hats, a lot of drumming, percussion instruments, some teepees on the edge. I think I'm going to look for some really quiet people to sit next to. It's phenomenal. There's got to be several thousand people in these giant concentric circles. It's sprinkling now and the sky is looking like it's really gonna rain. My name is Jennifer Simpson. My association here at the gathering is kind of complex. My dear friend Karen has been going to gatherings for 20 plus years and has been trying to get me to go to one for 20 plus years. <laughs> and I almost went to one I don't know, about 15 years ago, and this one was so close to where I am now, it was kind of hard to say no this time, so it's a little outside of my comfort zone, but Karen is a dear friend, and I've heard stories for years, so it's kind of a fun opportunity to check it out myself. What's uncomfortable about it? I'm not um, really one to go around hugging people and saying we love you. <laughs> I grew up in a military family, we're a little more reserved. <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, but it's also been really interesting to me seeing seeing that because there are people that probably no one ever tells them we love you and no one ever tells them welcome home. And it kind of is really kind of moving actually. What's moving about it? Just because I think there's some people that come to the gatherings here um, that probably more mainstream society might look at them as bums. I mean, I'll just be frank. Um, some of them are kind of living on the margins and the fringes, and they may not have strong family and friend support, but they do have that here, and I think that's really neat to see it. How authentic does it feel to you? I think, you know, 98% authentic. <laughs> you know, there's a little bad energy everywhere you go, um, you know. I've seen a couple people getting upset and you know but this just like any place else really I mean it's it's in a way it's sort of a utopian thing but they've also sort of recreated what there is every, every place else too whenever you have a large group of people that come together you get some really great people and you get some really bad people and that's just what happens in communities you were out here in the main area when the LEOs the law enforcement officers came out tell us what happened well, I'm not really sure what happened. They were pretty much just cruising the area. And my friend Karen participates in the Shantasina group. So she um, makes it her mission to follow them and to yell six up to warn people that they're coming. And because in the past they've been known to ticket people for relatively minor offenses like dogs off leash and then have it be like a mandatory court appearance down in Albuquerque this time, which is kind of a hassle. So I just started following her. And they really weren't doing anything. I'm not really quite sure what they were looking for. Um, so I don't know. So I just followed them. And they were just kind of walking around. And people were shouting six up and guns in the church. And they were filming, which I think uh, also people find a little offensive here, too. Um, I think you should ask permission. And 
you know, of course, they're probably filming for law enforcement purposes. How did you feel? Did you feel threatened or not? That's kind of hard to say. You know, uh, there's this, in a way, yes. I mean, they're carrying guns. They can pretty much do what they want. Were they real guns? They were real guns. A couple of them had real guns. And, um, you know, you don't argue with people with guns. <laughs> At least I don't. So, yeah, I mean, there is a level of intimidation that's there just because of the, relation, the power relationship, you know. Um, I guess in some ways, I'm... I don't know which S I am, so so I maybe didn't feel as intimidated as some people. Long line of military family here. I'm used to, you know, stern men with guns. <laughs> it's not a new Although thing. My dad was an engineer, so I don't really think he carried a gun, but, you know, the whole, it's the, the attitude is not too dissimilar. Our show is about making peace. What do you expect to learn or take away about peacemaking from the gathering? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, well, one thing I've already kind of taken away is that peace really is a choice. I mean, it's a choice we make every single day in every interaction. You know, when um, I was up here earlier, uh, about 10 days ago, and um, I know there was like a domestic disturbance, <laughs> for lack of a better. <laughs> and the way they dealt with it here was, you know, instead of like hauling off somebody and arresting them and throwing them in jail, they, you know, they surrounded them and ohmed and talked them down, basically, rather than being confrontational. It's more of like a, how can we heal this problem? And I don't know if that's always going to work. <laughs> it would be nice to think it would. And um, I also, I also really enjoyed hearing um, Garrick Beck speak at the town meeting when he said that, um, you know, we come up here and pray for peace, and, and then he kind of jokingly said, it hasn't worked yet, but, but we're hopeful. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I think that's the other thing to take away from this about peace. You know, okay, probably on the 5th of July, the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan will not be over. I'm not naive, but it can't hurt. <laughs> And to have 10,000 people come together and to try and manifest that kind of intention, I think it's pretty powerful. I mean, you know, one small step can change the world, right? I mean, so that's what I'm trying to take away <laughs> from it. But it's a choice. Thanks. It's alternating between sprinkling and raining. People have their hats on, mostly wool hats. There's lots of dogs on leashes, a lot of raincoats. My bright blue marmot is probably really sticking out. There's teepees with big fires. Drums. Ethan Novikov, and uh, I'm just an attendee today. Where are you from, Ethan? Um, originally, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, but I'm living in Denver right now. Is this your first gathering? It is my first gathering. What prompted you to come? Um, my girlfriend Megan here has been uh, twice, and well, has been once. This is her second time, so she encouraged me to come and. Uh, has always spoken very highly of this event. So, what was the one thing she said that convinced you to come? Um, 
I don't know if it was anything she said, but I guess the idea of people expressing their right to assemble was appealing to me. I think it's important to uh, exercise our rights that are guaranteed to us. Um, so I think for that aspect, to the aspect of expressing that right is important and uh, useful in this day and age. Our program is about peacemaking. What do you think you might learn, or what have you learned so far about making peace here that you don't learn in the outside world? Um, well, I suppose out here, you know, everyone's trying to, to do their own thing, but also trying to work together to um, create something that's bigger than all of us, and I think that that's a good way to, to view it, to not just focus on yourself, but on the overall good and the overall mission of peace. Um, what is that human drive to connect with more than just one person? What's, what's compelling us to gather like this with huge groups? Uh, I don't know. I suppose it's... Uh, an innate sense that we have just as mammals and um, you know we're a sociable species you know we like to be in groups and I think we gain support from each other and other positive emotions when we're in groups and acting peacefully and cooperating. What do you think that is? that we get from each other. So what do you get when you look out and you see all these people basically getting along? What happens in your brain? I suppose it just, uh, it reminds me that, you know, we're all related. We're all of the same species. You know, we're all basically the, the same thing. Um, and, you know, we're all, we all have similar similar goals but different in life and you know we're all just trying to survive and do our thing and um, express our own free will so I guess I just see everyone kind of being an individual but also being connected as as we are of the same species and I don't know if that answers your question or not it does okay thanks a bunch you guys yeah. Mostly people look a little tired, a little cold. Some people have gotten their food and they're eating. Other people seem to be sitting very patiently waiting. These beautiful bowls, camping bowls, Tibetan singing bowls, plastic kitty bowls, all different colors and shapes. Yogurt container. I thought about doing that. There's a woman in black boots, blue jeans, baby blue, blue jean jacket, and she has one of those really thin plastic rain covers on. She's holding probably a one-gallon sterling silver bucket. She has a soup ladle. People are holding out their cups and bowls. She's ladling soup into it. She walks down the line and hits the next person. 
Looks like a pretty thin broth with some vegetables. People are waiting patiently for her to come around. Looks like greens and maybe some potatoes in there. Everybody's getting about a cup, if they're lucky. So they're bringing around salad. It looks like some people have some corn. It looks like the uh, soup is actually quite hot, steamy, and healthy looking. My name's Casey Diaz. Um, I'm a rainbow. Uh, you know, I, I've been to a lot of nationals. I enjoy it, you know. I, it, there's a lot of reasons to come here, you know, and I think everybody it varies just a little bit, but for me it's more about, like, getting back to the land or, like, getting away from the cities for a little while and finding some peace through this. Um, I try to learn while I'm here, you know, because there's a lot of things you can learn here from surviving in the woods to just learning guitar, you know, simple things about life, you know, and that it makes it all worth it, you know, to see this many people be able to come together in a peaceful fashion, you know, and kind of assemble and live, in, live with the land peacefully for a while, and then some of us have to go back to our other lives, you know, so it, it's beautiful to see. Our show is called Peace Talks, and so we're here to learn why what motivates people to come and you talked a lot about the land what does the land do for you that promotes peace um, I'm from Indiana so there's no mountains there you know and it's like this, there's no scenery there like this the thi I see cornfields every day you know and I see what is happening to the land through the wrong type of farming you know it's getting better but so coming here and seeing this lush, basically untouched part of the country, you know, it, it brings me peace to know that it still exists and that there are more people trying to make more of this land, you know, or like return some of the old land to how it was. Talk about that experience of peace that you get here sitting on the earth that you don't get at home. What does it feel like? Um, it's, it's calming, you know. I, I think the 4th of July is a perfect example here. Pro you know, there's probably, there'll be 25,000 people here tomorrow. Everyone's going to come out here together and sit in complete silence, you know, for most of the day. And then the children will come in the middle and we'll um and, you know, kind of break apart. But it's like that ohm, you have 20,000 people holding hands in a beautiful scenery and all arming together, it's it's undeniable, you know, I mean, there's no, you can't deny the feeling of peace and togetherness that comes from something that large. What would you say to critics that say, oh, it's just temporary, or it's a bunch of freaks, it's a bunch of hippies, it doesn't have any meaning, it doesn't last? You know, I... It's not true, you know, I mean, I can I can understand that some people will see that and part of it is they've never experienced it, you know, I mean, the rainbow, there's been, the first rainbow gathering was in 71, there was unofficial ones prior to that, so it's obvious that it's not just a flash in the pan, you know, we're, we're all proof of that, it, you know, it's, it's getting bigger, not smaller. And I think with the way the economy in our country is going, more people are 
opening their ears and eyes to situations like this because they, they've seen there needs to be some kind of change. Um, personally, I, I do not agree with all of the rainbow ideas, you know, but I, I do agree with, with the essential cores of the ideas, you know, the basic ideas. What's the essential core that you really believe in for the gathering? As far as here, I mean, leaving the land how we found it, you know, there there will be people here a month after everybody's gone cleaning this up, picking out the little pieces of toilet paper out of the shitters, you know, tearing everything down, just walking around, picking up trash, and, you know, <coughs> sorry, since we promote living with the land, we try to lead by example in that way. And if we can't do that, then everything after that doesn't mean anything, you know. If we can't hold our most basic idea to live with the land peacefully and leave it as we were, then <coughs> all the details after that, you know, mean nothing. Describe the tattoo on your back. It I, says HIV positive. I couldn't read it because oh, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting next to you, so I just wanted you to describe it. Oh, yeah. It's about how big? Um, it goes all the way across my back, so, I don't know, 24, 25 inches, something. It's prominent on my back, you know what I mean? And usually when I wear t-shirts, the HIV part sticks out. Um, I, I try to bring my, my message about that here. I, you know, I wear a sign on my front usually that states the same thing. Um, I'm not trying to scare people, I just, I just want them to think about it, be more aware, you know what I mean? It's just about making smarter decisions so you don't end up in my situation, you know. I, I don't want to see my friends and family go through potentially what I will. Um, and there are a lot of people out here maybe don't consider the possibility. I'm the only person here with this tattoo, but I'm not the only person here with HIV. You know, I've had a number of people come up to me and tell me they also have HIV, you know, because I'm open about it, you know, and I just, I just want them to be more comfortable. You know, I fight against the stigma of what it is. You know, people think if you get HIV, your life is over, and people give up, and I, I try to... I try to show them that that's not true. You, I still have a life. I'm far from, you know, over. You know. You look really healthy. Thank you. I, 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 I am pretty healthy. I stay pretty healthy. I'm not on HIV medication, um, but I just try to eat right, exercise. You know, but that's the core for anybody. Any, you know, even regular people's health. You know, you have to eat right. You have to have physical activity and try to keep your stress down. How accepting would you say are most people? Or what kind of reaction do you get? Because that's one thing that's promoted in the gathering is inclusivity. Nobody's outer. Sadly enough, I get about the same reaction here that I do in the rest of the world. The majority of the people are happy for what I'm doing. A lot of people just have honest questions that they want to ask, that they're afraid to ask people, but if they know that I have HIV, they're more comfortable asking me. You know, I get a few people who are like, why would you ever do that? You know, like, there's people, you know, I mean, there's people who are like, it's a lie, it's a scam by the government, you know, and I, I know I have a virus in my body, you know, but I just try to give them the information, and if, if they don't, 
accept it. It's there's nothing I can, you know. I mean, I'm not here to force it on people. You know, I'm just, I just want people to think more about their actions. You know, because that translates into the rest of the world. You know, I mean, it makes the world a better place, not just for HIV, but for everything. You know? And that's that's what it's about to me. My main message is HIV, but the cores of what I believe in spread throughout every every life. Here comes the soup kettle. Hot soup. Casey, thanks so much for talking. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Would you like some salad? Absolutely. Would you like some salad? Yeah, thanks. So I'm wondering, would you guys be willing to be interviewed briefly um, for broadcast and webcast? Sure. Kelsey Erickson, or you can call me Mushroom. Ashley or Star. <laughs> Mushroom and Star. All right. Tell our <laughs> listeners what you two look like. Mud people. <laughs> mud, mud monsters. Mud monsters. Mud, mud nymphs. Mud nymphs. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And um, so, what's going on with your hair? Uh, well, it is a flaming red mohawk, but at the moment it is caked up with mud. And I do have this rainbow colored braid, but you can't really tell. It's a mud at this lock. point. It's a mud lock. And I have a full set of mud locks. Now, how do you get so much mud to stick? How do you do that? You mud wrestle. Mud wrestle. <laughs> Where did you do that? At um, Dirty Kids Camp. Oh, there's a Dirty Kids Camp. Dirty Kids Camp. Okay. You guys look fantastic. What does it feel like to be covered in mud? Oh, it feels, it feels really good. good. <laughs> Our show is about making peace. What does mud have to do with peace? Well, it's Earth. <laughs> It's the Earth Mother. She's peaceful, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys are the Earth. There's no yeah. distinction, right? Right. Okay, so what is the most important? Is this your first, second, third, tenth gathering? What is third it? Third for me. Yeah, it's my second. And so with a third gathering, what do you take back besides, um, you know, some muddy shoes? What's the most important thing that you'll learn and keep with you from a gathering? Just love everybody and share it and enjoy it and pass it on. We can change the world. Is that easy to do when you get back to work and people are jerks? And can you really hold on to the feeling of fun and love? The rainbow, the rainbow feeling stays with you forever. I mean, it the the magic stays with you real strong for you know a month or so, and it but it's always there, and you can always Attractive. tap into it. Yeah. Yeah, and you meet ra rainbow people everywhere. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Tell me one story when you're back in Babylon and something's really making you mad. How do you tap into the peace? How do you remember it? And how does it change your behavior to calm down? Well, for instance, okay, so I have a flaming red mohawk, right? So this is kind of this pol polar thing that happens where people either love it or they hate it. Right? So I get a lot of like really strange looks. And I've learned that if I just give them the biggest, most heartfelt grin, they melt. They melt. And people respond to love. I hope you two just continue having tons of fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Loving you. Okay. Loving, Loving you. you. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hello. Those girls were covered with mud. From head to toe, I could see their eyeballs, and that was about it. They were adorable. <laughs> Why not? 
My name is Joyce, and my association with the gathering is that I um, like to come here. So, I know you don't represent all African Americans, but it's so white here, I have to wear shades. What is going on? Where are the people of color? Um, I think that, well, there are some people of color here. Um, it is predominantly white, though, I think for a lot of reasons, um, because the hippie movement in general is pretty a white movement. Um, they're pretty white. Let me stop you there. Why is the hippie movement mostly white? Uh, well, okay, like, talking to my mother, like, I'm uh, a black woman, and talking to my mom, uh, we used to argue about feminism a lot. She had no room for it, and finally one day I was like, but mom, you are totally a feminist. And she, once I explained to her what, what it was, it made sense to her. But because she grew up in, you know, the 60s and 70s when feminism was becoming, um, you know, a bigger movement, it didn't include women of color, and so my mom really didn't care for it. The problems that white women at that time were facing, it was mostly uh, middle class, you know, white uh, woman problems, and not not necessarily things that um, applied to women of color, women of poverty. So I think, as far as uh, the hippie movement, kind of is similar to that. As far as um, it's, it is very inclusive, but I can understand why some people of color don't feel that it is, or have other priorities, um, like, you know, they can't take off three weeks to go to the woods, or, you know, a week or whatever, because they have their job, and they have to take care of their family, and provide for their family, and they have other concerns, rather than coming to the forest to, um, you know, do whatever people imagine it is that people do at Rainbow Gatherings. Basically, what do you do here? Well, um, today I did some yoga, and I was in a, a circle, a bunch of people talking about um, things that were important to us, um, just camping out, meeting a lot of people, learning, learning a lot from older people who have been part of the Rainbow family for a long time, um, learning about the values that keep people coming back. What would you say those values are? Um, peace, equality, uh, environmentalism, there's, um, you know, I've heard some people say that it's kind of damaging to the National Forest for so many people to come out and live on one small space and, you know, there's no uh, plumbing, so there's, you know, the poop problem and water problem and all that. Um, but people stay afterwards and make sure that everything is the way it is and make sure that all the trash is picked up if, you know, people are, you know, don't care and leave trash behind. There's people that come up behind and clean it up. So um, taking care of the earth, respect for the earth, and respect and love for every person. How welcomed do you feel, or is it difficult to be surrounded by, let's, wouldn't you admit, 95% white people? Well, I'm from North Dakota, so it's not really a problem. Pretty used to it. <laughs> but um, there, there is just so much um, emphasis on loving each other that it really doesn't matter. And everybody is welcome, regardless of their race or sexuality, or even if you... Um, you know, do have some uh, value disagreements or, you know, whatever. Everybody's welcome and everybody's loved. Can I ask you a couple more questions? You're being great. So, are you basically saying that in a way the hippie movement is sort of irre irrelevant 
to African Americans? No, no, I definitely don't think that. I think that, um, you know, and this is all projection because I didn't, I wasn't alive in the 60s, but it seems that um, the hippie movement started off very genuine and really about peace and love and things like that, but then after a while it kind of became a fashion statement, as a lot of things do. Um, environmentalism became, you know, free Tibet became a fashion statement, you know, like a lot of a lot of causes become fashion statements after a while. And then it's people of upper classes, people of leisure who have the money who are able to take part in those movements because they don't need to provide for themselves. And so there are other people who, you know, um, aren't of that, like, uh, aren't that type of person, people who genuinely are impoverished but still choose to live this way because it is a very, um, well, it's a very easy way to live. You don't really need a lot of money if you don't focus on, you know, materialism. So I think, I don't think it's irrelevant at all to answer your question. I don't think that it's relevant to people of color. I think that um, it's just that there's uh, a lot of question about what it really is and what you know hippies do and I can understand how people of color or people who um, are in poverty don't feel like it's something that they could be a part of. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Yes, I'm Maya Todorita. Oh my gosh. Where are you from, Maya? I'm from Tucson. <laughs> How many gatherings have you been to? I think, including this one, two. What do you like about them best? It's gathering. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new verb. How old are you? I'm eight. What's most fun about the gathering? It has a lot of activities and so many people share peace. Our show is about peace. How do you experience peace when you're at the gathering? What does it feel like in your body? It feels like a warm hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> you're the mom. How long have you been coming to gatherings? I first went to a gathering in Missouri in 1985 when I was 20. What was your motivation? Back then? Oh gosh, friends had told me that it was fun and I wanted to see where all the hippies went. <laughs> Do you consider yourself a hippie? You know, that's a funny question. I'm, I'm not old enough to have been an official hippie, but people younger than me think I am. <laughs> Would you call yourself a hippie? Sometimes I do. What are the positives of being a hippie? Um, I guess you're not as bound to the social customs of non-hippiedom. <laughs> like, what are one or two of those customs? Oh, gosh. It depends on where you are, you know, but um, I like that here uh, you can nurse your baby and not worry about somebody staring at you weirdly. It's a freedom that you can have, or heck, you can even, you know, take your own shirt off if you want. <laughs> have you been known to do that? You gotta start up. I have from time to time. I got these kids. What a great feeling of freedom. It's so unusual, isn't it, in our culture that you can be around other people naked. Yeah, it shouldn't be so strange, but the weather here isn't real inviting for that anyway.
so. It's a little chilly. Um, what do your friends in Babylon say about, oh, she's taking her kids to the rainbow gathering? Is that a, a they like that or not? At this point in my life, most of my friends probably have taken their kids to rainbow gatherings too. But the rest of my family that hasn't been to a rainbow gathering sort of accepts it as one of the things that I do. They can go on cruise ships and have fun and I can go to rainbow gatherings. <laughs> What's the part that you look forward to the most? Meeting old friends that I haven't seen, you know, because we all live in different parts of the, you know, we're not as connected as we could be. And so it's just nice to run into an old friend that I haven't seen in a long time. And just having the time to sit down and have a cup of tea with him. <laughs> it seems like um, one of the ideas behind the gathering is it's a, it's a utopia and we're all going to get along and everything's going to be peaceful, but that's really impossible, isn't it? Well, a utopia is sort of a perfect word, isn't it? So of course it's going to be impossible, but you know, if we get together like this and we practice, then we can only get better at it. And what, are you, what encourages you about what people are practicing? What in particular do people do differently that they don't do back in their regular lives? Well, because this gathering is a, a long walk in, I think we're recycling our containers. I see a lot of, you know, recycling going on, a lot of people reusing things in an interesting way. I saw a piece of uh, fencing being used as a volleyball net. <laughs> you know, that's pretty good. I, I just like the way people uh, are more self-auto-autonomous, you know, self-sustaining self here. We seem to take care of ourselves in small groups better than we would back there. <laughs> We're staying over in Kitty Village and and uh, my wife really wanted to come and I, and I did too and I'm glad I did it was kind of hard to, to take off work I'm a business owner in uh, in Tucson and uh, so it was kind of hard to let go for a minute and come up here and enjoy the the beautiful but I'm so glad glad I did because the altitude and the trees and the air and everything feels really good and I'm looking forward to being really refreshed when I get back home and have to run my business we make microphones so broadcast microphones as, as a matter of fact. What's most important to you about the gathering in terms of peacemaking and nonviolence? Well I think it's important to be kind to people and educate them you know there's a, there's people of all different levels of growth here and some of the people are, are really very spiritually connected and other people uh, we're just trying to help them out and tolerate you know them and, and sort of gently um, encourage them into more peaceful ways and, and, and by loving them, you know, and, and, and being kind and, and sweetness and gentleness. And we're trying to teach that for our children. And, and it, we think that peace really starts with us. If, if you want to have peace in the world, then we need to make peace within ourselves so that, so that we have a calm spirit. And then learn to have that in, in your own family and then in your own community. And then it grows from there. So one person at a time. What behaviors are you most concerned about that people ha aren't fully evolved and they're doing here at the gathering? Well, I, th I just think it's it's good to encourage people to um, 
to to use good language and and if there's you know ask them not to use profanity especially around children and and, and most people are doing that most people are really peaceful and loving and then you know, there's the small percentage of people that are attracted to this that they just aren't aren't ready to be that peaceful yet and but they're learning and they want to so we're, we're trying to help them and and love them and be be kind so just, that just seeing that this whole thing is possible just seeing looking around and seeing what's happening I think it it gives people a greater sense that it's possible that it can happen yeah and it is happening and you know one of the things too that uh, I've been encouraging people to really be kind to law enforcement and and to love them and think of their families when they're walking through and and to, to smile and and I think that that helps and and so far what I've seen inside the gathering is uh, with regard to law enforcement is I, I don't know of any incidents that that have been violent with with law enforcement everything has been pretty good so far um, and so you know it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of work to be responsible spiritually and to promote peace and you know when you hear someone jive in somebody it's, you know it's just good to talk to them and, and just step in and try to help them understand that the kinder gentler ways are going to help us to achieve our goal you know i am interested in that because the culture here is that if you see something happening that you think's inappropriate it's okay to to walk up and say something and ask people to change their behavior is Absolutely. that true and then but is that kind of a scary thing to do or do you, what kind of response do you get when you go up and try to ask somebody to change their behavior well, it depends on how you how you approach them. If you approach them with love and gentleness, most often um, you can sort of break through the 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 anger and 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 get them to to see that you're just trying to help them out and become calm and and and, and rational. So you're relatively successful at that. Well, I think so. I mean, I don't go around all day just trying to like help people fix themselves because if I start doing that then then I'll find myself broken before long but, uh, but but you know I really do just try to be gentle with people and and then you know if they don't if they're not ready to take it in a, in a gentle way then it becomes obvious and you just move on and let it go
everybody, and welcome to the weekly review with Roman. Today it's Friday, May 22nd, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in. Starting off the show with some music, as we usually do here. First song is Staples. Uh, called, the song's called All In It Together, and after that, with their cover of What's So Funny About Love and Understanding. And yeah, we're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're here in the Mission District in San Francisco. We're on Ramitush Ohlone land. And to learn more about the land and the folks who have been on this land since before it was colonized, please go to ramitush.com. And that's R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H.com. And I also want to encourage folks to pay the Shumi land tax. And if you type in S-H-U-U-M-I land tax, you will be brought to a page where you can donate and also pay your taxes, especially for folks in the East Bay. We'll be going over some new stories today, playing some music in between. Did an interview, I believe, two days ago. It's hard to keep track of time. And I rec- pre-recorded it. And I didn't have a chance to really edit it. And that's okay. So I'll be playing the, the rough cut of it. And speak with Faye from the SRA. So look forward to sharing that with you all. And big thanks to Faye for sharing some information with us. And I'm also going to be speaking about some news stories. And often on the show, it can get depressing because it is the news. <laughs> and also, I definitely want to highlight some positive things that are happening and a lot of collective actions that are happening. And I feel like it's really inspiring and it's important to recognize the victories no matter how small they may feel, just to a reminder that there are so many folks doing a lot of really incredible organizing out there. So I want to give attention to that. Oftentimes I start with a rant. I don't know what to rant about today. I mean, I do know. And also, I did have a, I I try not to talk about my personal life too much on here. I did have a dream last night that, um, so I've got, I think we all have people in our lives where we are friends at one point. And then for whatever reason, we either drifted apart or there was, fighting or for whatever reason we're just maybe not as close and i had a dream about one of these friends who i'm still kind of connect like we're connected on social media but we don't really we haven't talked in years and in my dream uh this person was like i saw them and i was like oh hey and this person was like oh i, I was in love with you for a long time and that's why i was so like unkind to you and suddenly that just kind of washed over all of the anger i had and frustration and sadness I had towards them about having this friendship kind of, I don't necessarily crumble, more just like kind of faded away. It wasn't anything from my perspective that felt too dramatic. Maybe parts of it were dramatic. I don't know. But it was really this nice bonding moment in my that my subconscious wanted me to experience. And I recognize that that there's a theory that everything in your dream represents a part of you and every person in your dream represents a part of you. So perhaps... There was this uh, piece of myself that was (sighs) not sure how to show love for myself, I guess, at that time. And I I do. This is, I mean, I talk a lot on the show about how, obviously, we should have housing for all and healthcare for all. It's not, to me, it doesn't seem that complicated, yet a lot of folks want to push back against that. And part of it comes from my own experience of just being in between housing for years of my life and how difficult that was and how that affected my behavior in so many levels. Not that I'm not accountable and uh, responsible for my behavior. It's not an excuse for it. It's just an understanding that 
when I wasn't sure sometimes where I was going to spend the night and or staying with friends and or sleeping on couches and or just being around, you know, being in situations that I ordinarily would not be in if I'd had stable housing. Uh, it, I was not, I just, when I didn't have as many choices, uh, it did not really affect my interpersonal skills that well. It had a negative effect. And uh, my substance use went up and I think that really affected some of my friendships and relationships in my life. And it's so crucial just to understand how important it is that folks have their own housing. I mean, it affects every single aspect of one's life. Privacy, self-confidence, the ability to get a job and to keep a job, um, safety, health, being removed from the elements, not having to deal with police harassment, as much. Um, there's so many things that just like having the basic needs, the fact that we are so far removed from that um, in the grand scheme of things here in, the, in this country is just, it's so difficult to witness day in and day out, especially, and I, I recognize this is happening um, in many places around the country and many places around the world. So it's not just something that's happening in the Bay Area, however, it's so pronounced here with the wealth disparities that there are actual billionaires who live in this city and the fact that we're not honestly hunting them down right now and asking them, I mean, I'm all for, I won't stop anyone from making a guillotine, let me say that right now. People, there are vacant units here. It's like, it's so, the problems are so fixable. It's just the people who are in positions of power to fix it and have the ability to fix it and have the wealth to fix it choose not to. And that's just, it's, and then I think about my own actions and, you know, I can point my finger all I want to, but it's also up to me to help support folks who are organizing and, and to, to act as well. And I recognize that. And it's just so fucking difficult when there are, when we could easily have a world where people are safe and taken care of. And it's not like it's, there are steps that we could take. I recognize it's, I mean, similar with prison abolition. Like, I'm all for that as the end game. And I recognize it's not just like you snap your fingers and it's done and all problems are solved. But we do need to move into a world where we have compassion for one another and we look to heal and rehabilitate instead of punish people. And it seems that the folks, and obviously every case is different, and the folks who actually, who I think do need some uh, <clears throat> punishment are people the, in the highest offices of the land. Yet it's uh, folks who are simply trying to live their lives who are the ones who are on the receiving end of police violence, state violence, poverty. And it's difficult to hold these you know, these, these truths of how the world is and be a part of the world. Like, I definitely want to, I, I definitely have some social anxiety to a degree, and things feel a little bit different now that there is shelter in place, and I try to go out for walks and exercise and to, exp I don't know if I use the word, explore is not the right word to use. So many people have been here before, but when I have the energy, just walk and find other parts of the city I haven't been to before, I haven't spent as much time in, and just how beautiful it is here. 
and at the same time, it feels frightening to go out. Not a lot of folks are wearing masks, and the whole idea with wearing masks is that you're protecting other people. It's not so much you're protecting yourself, but it's a courtesy to other people. Folks can have be asymptomatic. I could be. I could have it, and if I at least if I wear a mask in public, that's one less, or I should say, one more barrier uh, from that prevents me from transmitting it to someone. So that's the least thing I can do. And yeah, of course, it's not uh, the most comfortable thing, but uh, a lot of things in this world aren't very comfortable, and I feel like it's a very the bare minimum. Um, yeah, just encouraging folks to wear masks and social distance, and not a lot of folks. I feel like. In the last week or so, I've seen more, like fewer and fewer, I've seen more and more people go out, more cars, unfortunately, gross, and uh, just more people without masks on. For a while, there was like definitely an uptick in people wearing masks, which was great and appreciated, and then suddenly it kind of stopped, especially for like the joggers. It's like, especially when you're jogging, you just exert more sweat, and you're breathing heavier, and uh, there are some, though, who wear masks, so I appreciate it. And it's really just this kind of, we're just seeing how people respond under these difficult situations. And obviously not everyone's perfect and obviously we all make mistakes. And I just want to encourage folks to try to think of other people. Not that, well maybe it's hard for some people, I don't know. Anyway, that's, I guess that's where my rant is. There we go, that's not so bad. All right, I mean, despite the fact that the wealth inequality is killing people. Um, you know, but that's kind of the world that we're living in. So I do want to get to some new shows. I am new shows. What am I talking about? Um, also, ooh, there's a cover of Wilco, Nicolo, and Mavis Staples' Wait, which I think I want to listen to. So perhaps I'll put that on right now, and then I will put up, I'll pull up a story to read, and I'll also sit down, because I haven't sat down yet. Although I did hear, for audio recording, it's better to be standing up. So maybe I'll stand up. We'll see how this goes. So this is Wilco, Nicolo, and Mavis Staples rehearsing The Wait. You can find it on YouTube. It was shared by Wilco. And this came out in 2012. Ah, those were, I'm not going to say simpler times. They were different times. And, uh, let's see. I am, uh, <laughs> Putting up the volume here. Oh, I have the tab muted. This happens sometimes.
in December 2011 and Wilco YouTube page. Alright, mentioned a news story. I'm still standing up. We'll see how this goes. I'm getting a little bit ready to sit down, but we'll see. This is from Berkeley side. Oakland students may get to vote for school board members. Yes, good thing. 
Uh, this is written by Ashley McBride, and it came out on May 20th. A November ballot measure to allow 16- and 17-year-olds to vote in school district elections make Oakland the fifth U.S. city to lower its voting age. The Oakland City Council voted unanimously on Tuesday to place a measure on the fall ballot extending... I'm going to sit down. <laughs> I uh, tried to stand up for a while. And, you know, 20 minutes, not so bad. All right, I'm going to sit down. Okay. All right, the Oakland City Council voted unanimously on Tuesday to place a measure on the fall ballot extending the voting franchise to students. The council's decision was the culmination of a months-long campaign by student leaders to enable young people to have greater influence over the Oakland Unified School District's board. If approved by voters in November, Oakland would join a handful of other cities across the country, including Berkeley, that allow teens to help pick school district leaders. Students said the campaign was driven by their desire to hold school board leaders accountable for decisions affecting their education. We saw the teachers strike as kind of an, like an eye-opener to see how our issues weren't met, our needs weren't met, said Malia Lau, a junior at Oakland Technical High School. We decided to push this forward so that our school board is responsive to the needs of students. Lau said that during the, stri the strike last spring, students stood with their teachers on picket lines and pleaded with district officials to keep schools open and preserve important programs amidst budget cuts. Now students hope to make their voices heard at the ballot box. The idea of expanding the franchise to 16 and 17-year-olds first arose at a student retreat last September for, U excuse me, for OUSD's All-City Council, the student union that convenes leaders from across school districts. At the time, students were fresh off a win in securing millions for the reinstated free supper program offered by the school district. But student leaders were still frustrated that their only recourse for instigating change was appealing to elected officials at board meetings. Students were tired of just speaking to the OUSD board members during public comment periods and not really feeling heard, said Lucas Brecky uh, Meisner the executive director of Oakland Kids First, an organization that helps students organize and advocate for themselves. Students wanted a more direct way to influence policy. OUSD students were also impressed by the work with the work of Tyler Okeke, a student in the Los Angeles Unified School District who was making waves by advocating for student enfranchisement. Okeke authored a proposal directing the LAUSD superintendent to explore the implications of lowering the voting age to 16. At the end of the retreat, students wanted to explore youth voting on school board elections, said Edelson Garibo, a senior at Oakland High School who currently serves as one of the two student directors on the school board, a symbolic position that does not have voting power. Over the past several months, OUSD students held voter education workshops, registered teen voters, and met with Oakland City Council members to draw up the resolution. It was sponsored by City Council President Rebecca Kaplan, and received support from several school board members, the Oakland Education Association, and Mayor Libby Schaaf. However, while the resolution received broad support, some have expressed concerns that teenagers aren't knowledgeable enough to vote, uh, or that they could be easily misled by deceptive campaigns. OUS, as a, I'm going to just interrupt here, as opposed to fucking adults who, like, uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, okay. OUSD District 6 Supervisor... Uh, Shanti Gonzalez felt that with more time, the proposal could have been refined. 
The main thing is that there's no plan and no resources devoted to educating student voters to make sure they can be informed voters when this legislation is enacted, Gonzalez said. Even adults have difficulty figuring out the nuances of board elections, campaigns, and the organizations that fund them, and allowing teens to vote without a plan or resources to educate them could be irresponsible, Gonzalez said. The students who successfully campaigned for the city council to place the measure on the ballot said that they are mature enough for civic engagement and have a track record of making positive changes. I've experienced not having a teacher present and not having extra support after school or in class, Oakland Technical High School student Dermesha Hall told the Oakland City Council during yesterday's meeting. There are some things that I feel all students should have easy access to. I don't want future students to feel like they are powerless in that way. If we are able to balance our schoolwork, providing for our families, drive, and work, added Hall, we should have the rights to vote for things that we feel are unjust in our school system. Berkeley's student voting resolution passed with 70% of the vote in 2016, but has yet to be implemented. That measure included a stipulation that no city funds be used to enact it, leaving Berkeley Unified School District with the bill. Berkeley officials are also debating other issues, including whether to print separate ballots for teens so they don't vote in other races, determining whether they can vote by mail. San Francisco supervisors are also considering an even broader proposal to lowering the voting age to 16 for all local elections. If Oakland voters approve this measure, students hope that they'll be
All right, and welcome back. Now it sounds better. I think the mic was a little bit out before. So that was Alex Leahy with Wes Anderson. Cute video if you want to check it out. And next up, another article. And the last one I read, just to be sure folks get a chance to uh, read it, if you for some reason the mic went out before, was from Berkeley side. And uh, student student working on being able to vote for the school board Next up, positive story here. And tenants buy properties from negli negligent landlord who tried to evict them. And this is from Minnesota, from the MinnesotaReformer.com, written by Max Nesterak. And it came out on May 19th. 38 families in South Minneapolis will gain ownership of their five apartment buildings after spending years battling their landlord, Stephen Friends. Unusual last name for landlord, uh, who had been trying to evict them. This is an amazing victory. I'm so happy, Chloe Jackson said in a statement Wednesday. She is a resident of one of the properties and board president of the tenants' rights group uh, in uh, United Renters for Justice. In, sorry, I'm going to probably mispronounce this. In clinics, clinics or Houston. In 2017, Franz was banned from holding rental licenses in Minneapolis for five years because of chronic neglect, fraud, and pest infestation. He then owned more than 60 apartment buildings in Minneapolis and faced one of the largest class action lawsuits against a private landlord. Wow. He settled for a record settling, setting $18.5 million and served time in the Hennepin County Workhouse for perjury related to the case but he maintained ownership of the properties, which were managed by a court-appointed administrator. While 38 families in five buildings sought to form a cooperative and buy their buildings from him, friends had been trying to evict them for the past year, saying he needed to vacate the properties to sell them. Eviction seemed certain once the pandemic hit, since the families, most of whom are immigrants and don't have health care or access to government benefits, had collectively gone on rent strike. They had decided to pool their money to help each other buy groceries or pay medical bills should someone become sick with COVID-19. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry praised the sale, which will be funded in part with an interest-free loan from the city. This collaborative effort reflects local government done right, Fry said in a statement. Work like this makes clear the value of persistence in fighting for our residents and strategically dedicating resources to increase housing stability, even in times of crisis. The Land Bank Twin Cities bought the five properties Bought, excuse me, bought the five properties in the Cork Grand neighborhood for $7.1 million with a loan from the city and the local initiative support corporation, Twin Cities. The two entities will also provide financing to make necessary repairs to the properties. Over the next two years, the land bank Twin Cities will transfer ownership of the properties to the residents who have, been na who have named the buildings the Sky Without Limits Community. They plan to own the buildings as a cooperative and allow more families to move in. This 34 of the 69 units are complete are currently occupied. I am euphoric, said resident Vanessa Del Campo Chacon in a statement Monday. This is the result of lots of arduous hard work, and I believe this victory will be felt throughout the whole city. Yeah, and you can find that article on michiganreformer.com, written by Max Nesterak, and it came out on May 19th. Next up, I'm going to go to from a, a tweet. Um, from Duran A. Hamdani. Duran uh, writes, I'm already, this 
Cut up my words a little bit here. I'm going to slow down. I did have a lot of strong coffee this morning. I think that's part of it. Roslyn Morrison is a leader in the effort to get vulnerable detainees out of Rikers during crisis. She says that while DAs in the Bronx and Brooklyn have been more understanding, Melinda Katz has fought to keep people locked up. We can't look away from what's happening. There are the audio clips. Had a lot of success in the Like, you know, when you say we're more understanding, um, consideration of There was also a lot of success in Brooklyn, where I, again, I could demonstrate my and openness. My sense is, is really that there has not been overwhelming support. I think there have been some um, reliefs or some agreement but it's really not a broad and overwhelming release. And I think that when I look at the campaign promises, painted herself as like this um, reformer and someone who was you know, open to the will of the people and there are too many people in jail. And, you know, it, that I just have not found that to be honest or consistent with what's happened since COVID-19 for sure and definitely not pre-COVID. Hosted by Lauren Mondani and Twitter at Robert H R A N K M A M D A N I, and Lauren is a candidate for New York's 36th AD, which is the Astoria Whitmer's Steinway Astoria Heights neighborhood, which I used to live in. So, thanks for sharing that, Lauren. And yeah, okay. Next up, I'm gonna do one more article. I'm going to play the interview that I did with Faye at around 1 o'clock, so please do stay tuned for that. I'm going to do another article here that has a bit to also do with landlords. And then I'll probably play some music. This is from blogto.com. Toronto renters are now staging protests outside the mansions of their landlords. This is in the real estate section. This is written by Lauren O'Neill, and it was posted two days ago. Mm-mm-mm. Apartment tenants who have been threatened with eviction for not having enough money to pay rent amid a global pandemic continue to organize in Toronto and beyond as part of the hashtag KeepYourRent movement, and their most recent IRL action hit landlords closer to home than ever. Parkdale organized the legal advocacy organization spearheading these local rent strike campaigns, described how GTA tenants descended upon the homes of their corporate landlords last week to collectively voice their demands for no evictions and for rent forgiveness for all tenants unable to pay during the COVID-19 crisis. Tenants from buildings in Scarborough, Nisagua, and Parkdale are said to have visited the sprawling mansions of CEOs from major real estate enterprises such as Pinedale Properties and Starlight Investments on Wednesday during a virtual annual general meeting of the Federation of Rental Housing Providers of Ontario. And for short, it's 
F R P A. You may share um, a tweet from Keep Your Rent Toronto. You can follow them at Keep Your Rent. Uh, photos as well. That's on Twitter. Our first stop was the home of Pinedale Property CEO George Grossman. Grossman's company owns the buildings at 7, 9, and 11 Crescent Place, where company reps have visited tenants' units demanding the on-the-spot, demanding on-the-spot rent payments with a handheld ATM. Fucking gross. Uh, reads a blog post on the Parkdale organized website. A company rep told one bereaved tenant whose relative had died from COVID-related illness that COVID is nothing and that the economy needs to keep going. Fuck you. Parkdale Organized said that Grossman opted to cower inside his mansion while they were on his front lawn, but that they were they were able to deliver a letter to a domestic worker employed at his residence. They provide another tweet as well from Keep Your Rent Toronto. Next, we descended on the home of Starlight Investment CEO Daniel Drimmer, reads the post. In 2019, Starlight added to its real estate empire, buying GTA apartment buildings valued at at a total of $3.75 billion. Despite its growing financial power, in the past two months, Starlight repeatedly sent notices to tenants demanding rent payments and threatening to issue legal eviction notices. Protesters say they saw Drimmer pacing on his back patio while speaking on the phone. Parkdale Organized says that Drimmer called Toronto Police Services and reported a group for hate speech. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, a reminder, being a landlord, just like being a cop, is a job choice. It's not an identity. While protesters did not make contact with either of the landlords, they are encouraging apartment rent tenants to learn more about who owns their buildings. They also continue to urge others to keep their money in solidarity when the next rent payment deadline rolls around. Today, tenants made it clear that we will continue to organize with our neighbors, wrote Parkdale Organize of the mansion protests. Unless landlords' threats of eviction and demands for rent repayments are withdrawn and rent forgiven for tenants unable to pay during the crisis, we are prepared to escalate our action by bringing greater numbers of our neighbors to confront even more landlords where they live and do business. Fucking awesome. Yay. Good for y'all. That's awesome. Again, you can follow uh, the folks here on Twitter at, at KeepYourRent. Okay. All right, so I'm going to play some music, and I'm actually going to, first of all, I, I was able to, perhaps if you listen to the show before, you can tell that sometimes it's a little bit more scatterbrained. Than you, some, it's a very DIY show. Sometimes I plan, sometimes I don't plan, sometimes I don't plan enough, etc. I was able to go through the stories I wanted to share, and I have a pretty solid list going on, and I also have a means to check off the ones that I have shared already. So I feel rather organized today, although I do feel like that mic may have been off for part of that first story. My apologies. I wanted to share also um, upcoming events that folks can participate in, because I do feel like it's uh, helpful just to have events, uh, a lot of virtual events that are happening that folks can participate in and be in community. So I did want to share that. And Roll down, hopefully. Well, first of up, it's more, it's like a, a website that folks can check out, and this is covidgriefnetwork.org. I'm going to click on it now and read a description. So this is not so much an event. Uh, it's a resource for folks. Again, COVID network, covidgriefnetwork.org, undoing isolation for young adults grieving the illness or death of someone close 
through COVID-19 are offering. Are you in your 20s or 30s? Have you lost someone close to, co to COVID-19? Or is someone you love ill with COVID-19? Get connected to a community of young adults who know what it's like and, and free one-on-one -on -one support from a volunteer grief worker. Can you offer support? Are you a therapist, chaplain, spiritual director, grief counselor, facilitator, life coach, mindfulness practitioner, or healer? Do you know how to show up for people in grief? Are you willing to donate your support in this crisis? And I can have a link to that as well. Again, um, please do check this out. You can go to covidgriefnetwork.org. I also wanted to share, want to share present tense, the live document I've been sharing now for a few months. Uh, it's a document that's for folks around the world and it's a mutual aid document, and you can find it by going to bit.ly forward slash COVID-19 Collective Care. And there's pages upon pages of resources. Some of it's based on location. Some of it's based on um, groups that folks may be affiliated with. There's a whole, I can't even fully explain all of the, all of the information that's there, but it's a really awesome resource, so I do want to share that with folks. Again, bit.ly forward slash COVID-19 collective care. Okay, next up, next up. All right, we're, okay, get to that one later, that one later. Okay, this is a, an upcoming event, so we'll share that. And this is happening on May 25th, Monday, May 25th. This is from Code Pink. Celebrate International Women's Day for Peace and Disarmament. Armament. Join or organize a peace caravan. Hashtag healthcare, not warfare. That's, um... I think that's my that's similar to my Twitter handle, which is awesome, and um, which I've heard many times before in many places, or at least, anyway, a lot of places. Hashtag war is not green. Join or organize a peace caravan for Memorial Day Monday, May twenty fifth. Historically, Memorial Day has been used to mourn the dead, but in a way that almost idealizes war. This Memorial Day, join us to organize caravans for peace and disarmament, so there will be no more war dead. And who need to be who need to be remembered? Oh, all right. I want to reread that. Historically, Memorial Day has been used to mourn the dead, but in a way that almost idealizes war. This Memorial Day, join us to organize caravans for peace and disarmament, so there will be no more war dead who need to be remembered. This Memorial Day coincides with the UN Secretary General's call for a global ceasefire, saying, "The fury of the virus illustrates the folly of war." It also follows the May 24th International Women's Day for Peace and Disarmament, a day to raise up the cost of weapons and war to the planet. Uh, please consider organizing a caravan in your community. <laughs> I'm going all over the place here with my voice. It's easy. It can be as small as two to three cars. It's safe. You stay in your car. It's fun. People really want to come out in a safe way and do actions together. It's media-friendly. The press is looking for actions to cover. It's important. We need to be visible in demanding that our country focus on fighting this virus and the climate crisis, not each other. Each community will shape their caravan as they want. So they have a list of events that are already planned. United States, in D.C., the meetup location is at the fuck, excuse me, the White House. I, so for some reason, I just happened to use the F word when I when I was supposed to say White House. I don't know why. Um, the meetup location is at the White House on the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue and 7th Street. Some people will be walking. Some will be driving. Our route 
will be going towards and ending at the Cuban embassy as Cuba is a perfect example of hashtag healthcare not warfare, May 25th at noon Eastern Standard Time. In Arizona, in Phoenix, we will meet at 2020, excuse me, don't, don't do that, not 2020, that's not true. In Arizona, in Phoenix, we will meet at 20, 